It's time for another Driven by Design, the only show that shows you the future of automotive design, one conversation at a time, with our expert conversationalist, Brian Thompson. Hey, Brian. Beep, right. beep, beep, yeah. <laughs> beep, beep, yes. Hey, he's here, Brian Thompson. Uh, actually, he's on the road. Where else would you talk to a car designer but in a car? <laughs> yeah, hands free, legally set up here. <laughs> Don't worry, world. Pretty soon this car will drive itself. But right now, I'm hands free driving up to the 405. Yeah, and and what I thought this was a perfect opportunity to remind people: Brian Thompson's been a car designer for multiple years with Nissan, other sorts of things, and now he's doing in the crazy world of self-driving cars. Talk about whatever you can talk about. How much you can talk about this? What you're doing with this new idea here? Today is such a fun day because we are in the play modeling phase of the project, and I'll explain what that is. But basically, um, you know, my background, of course, is good 10 years at Nissan, and now I have my own consultancy, and I do mostly self-driving cars for Silicon Valley startups. I still work with, you know, the OEMs like Honda and Volvo and stuff. But right. really, everything is kind of transitioning to these little bots that bring you stuff or bring you places or... or um, take you on an experience and uh, there's obviously a lot of controversy over everything driving versus writing <laughs> yeah but well, today is we're going to talk about you know the process of designing a car which i well part of this show is is to it. give people an inside look at inside baseball inside car design a world none of us ever know have ever seen none of us yeah. ever seen how a car gets made or what type of or most of it even really don't even know it takes a while but we don't have a process we just think a car appears in the showroom Something appears on the street. There it is. You know, somebody came up with it last year. Um, and it's not that. So we've talked a lot about that process. of. And the other thing you love to talk about is taking it from design, from inspiration to perspiration, from inspiration to... <laughs> That's the way to put it. Right. Yeah. You know, to reality. Yeah, having it effect. come alive. It's yeah. alive. It's a Frankenstein movie here. <laughs> so... Well, it's funny. I... You go ahead. I was just going to say, how does it feel to be designing the world's future bots here? And what's it like to see your baby start to come alive? And then we'll talk about how you do that. <laughs> it's funny. I was just talking to the modeler I'm working with today. He's a really great guy. His name's Charlie Poston. We've worked mm -hmm. together for... And he's, he's here in Orange County. I would never think this would be a modeling studio mecca, well, but you're saying he's done this for a long time and is well known at this. Well, this particular modeler, uh, which we'll have on the show, I think, uh, Charlie Poston, he's, he's one of these super talents that he started uh, a dog food company with his wife called the honest kitchen which some people have heard of okay and it yeah. took off and it took off and became such a successful company that he no longer needs to clay model he just loves doing it wow. and so when i have a project that requires a clay model he comes in and we hire him but the, there's a there's a beauty in working with somebody who just loves the job so much that he he literally would do it for free i can say he has another of income. I can think yeah. so. I remember years and years ago, I, obviously I started off, as everybody knows, in the entertainment industry and watching that famous Academy Award speech with Dustin Hoffman where he said, thanks for giving me this Academy Award, but i got to tell you, I would have done this for free. I just love doing this. So <laughs> yeah. thanks for the money and the awards, but, you know, I... Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so you've known... Let's talk about... What's the initial process? You sit and you talk endlessly about feelings and what's it going to look like and function and, you know, and all yeah. this. Give me some idea of what the conversation's like when you first uh, approach to design something. 
Yeah, well, the, the, the typical process that happens in an OEM, and when I say OEM, that's a major manufacturer like Honda. Right. Or Original uh, equipment manufacturers, right. You got it. Yes, that's, um, there's, there's kind of three parts. There's marketing, engineering, and design. Right. Marketing comes up with the concept of what the car is. Marketing says it's got to be sexy and fast, and, 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 and engineering says it's got to be sturdy and last forever, and, you know. Marketing may, more tells you what the car is going to be, like a minivan or a full-size truck, and it's going to have this unique selling point. You know, like for the Titan uh, back in 2000, you imagine that, oh, 20 years ago, the, the unique selling point of the Titan truck was that it's going to have a huge cabin, little hood, because they were predicting that people were using the, the big full-size trucks like family cars. And um, that's why that truck did so well. And I have so used that so quote so many times. You and I talked about what happened to the family cars of our youth, and you said they became trucks. And I thought, yeah. oh, my God, that's what we use. That's the all-around station wagon truck. You throw everything into the dog in the back, and everybody piles in. It's not just a two-person cab anymore. It's this four-person all-utility vehicle that really took the place of the family vehicle. With a big old trunk that's a bed, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so product planning slash marketing, they, they, they come up with that concept. Engineering uh, basically lays out the package and says this is how it's going to be. And then my job is to design what that's going to look like, how that's going to look and feel. What's the form vocabulary? What's the theme? You know, when you look at the, the shapes on the car, uh, how does that all come together? Is it round? Is it square? Is it type of personality? you got to create a personality to this because we don't want our vehicles just to be boxes and utilitarian. They're not toasters. Well, they got to talk and to that's us a big, Yeah, then that's a big um, challenge right now, right? Because if you are in the world of self-driving bots where you no longer need to face forward and you no longer have a steering wheel, the, the most logical package right now is like a stagecoach from the 1800s where it's a box right. where you face each other. But that's because we're sort of in the nascent space of that technology, but mm. it's starting to evolve. So we will see a period of boxes for a while, uh, and then those, of course, will start to evolve as people uh, grow tired of that and you know and want to see something new. But um, I remember the uh, AMC Pacer. I'm older than you. Yes. I remember the AMC Pacer, and and uh, everybody used to laugh and say, "Is it coming or going?" It was one of those yes. cars that had similar looks from the front and the back. There've been a few of those, and everybody howls when they see that. Now they all look that way to me here. Well, and the Pacer was a great example of a car, a a car that was ahead of its time. So product planning for American Motors was very uh, advanced in their thinking mm-hmm. of the uh, the massive use of space. And the massive use of glass, yes, it, huge it, it glass, a little bit too, too soon, right? That 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 trend didn't take off until we hit the '80s, right? And right, and it came out in the '70s. But you know, the '80s are the era of like the tall box cars with the you know Honda Civic and the Toyota Tercel, the minivan, the, the birth of the minivan, yeah, yeah, so, the ultimate um, box. But that's a that's a great example of product planning having a great concept ahead of its time because what happened, you know, when the Pacer came out, uh, not to get off track here, but right. when the Pacer came out, it was a massive hit. Uh, but what it turned out was that everybody that wanted one bought one the first year and then didn't buy no one else did. <laughs> yeah, there's... That's why they consider the Pacer a flop because it was... Well, you, start, was, you sort uh, of got they, shamed if you bought one. You were stupid. You were weird. You were, you know, you were in this little space bubble thing here. And now they all look like space yeah. bubbles, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's funny, you know, and, and that is sort of product planning job is to to push it, push aesthetics to where people are are will accept it, but to push it beyond what they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So, like as they always say, is we do these things called called the focus group, where we focus group a design. We get a select group of people that we believe are in the attended market of the car, and we show it to them, 
And kind of the worst thing that you can have happen in the focus group is everybody loves the <laughs> Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got a flop, Joe. It, everybody loves this one. <laughs> yeah, because what it means is that it's too old. People aren't, people can't really, you, not everybody, but typically in a blanket statement, people can't really imagine the future they're going to live in seven to ten years from now. Hey, so that's the truth. Well, they, the, the famous quote from Henry Ford, uh, which basically goes something like, if I'd polled everybody, if I'd asked everybody what they wanted, all they wanted was a faster horse. Exactly. They couldn't have imagined the Model T. Right. And, and same is now. And so when we do a focus group, uh, so like, the you know, I don't know how the focus group went on the pacer. I don't even know if American Motors had the money. <laughs> Probably not. Group. They were struggling. Yeah. Yeah, um, but they, uh, they 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 went a little too advanced with that car, and it was seen as weird and strange. Now, likewise, if you showed people from the 1970s a Cadillac Escalade, they would say that's not a luxury car; that's a truck. That's yeah. going getting you know hardware. But yet today, we think of that as pretty badass and high end, right? Yeah, so right. Aesthetics and what we consider beautiful are never a constant. They're always related to the values of the time in which they exist. So you come up, they give you a concept, and now you have to put pen to paper, and you have to start sketching. Do you sketch? Walk us through the process. Do you just freely sketch? Do you uh, try and pull in elements and paste them together and try and get you some inspiration? Uh, You've said before you got a picture of this and a picture of that, and maybe it's not even car parts. It's a mountain. It's a dog. It's something you're trying to pull together here. Walk us through that inspirational phase before you walk back and say, ta-da, what do you think of this? Yeah. Well, I typically... It's like, how do you write a hit song? You know, do you sit in the bathroom? Where do you go? Let's ask Diane Warren. She seems to know how about How many millions of songs has she written? Yeah. Right. So I will get a general dimension and size of the vehicle so that I know what the proportions are that I'm working on. Let's say I'm working on, uh, you know, a self-driving taxi. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will know the general seating package that people are going to face each other. It's going to be this long, this wide. And so I generally have a proportion in my mind. And then um, I also have the product you can call it the unique selling points or the product intention from uh, product planning, which is like this is what we, uh, this is what the brand values of this company. The brand promise. It's got to have this. It's got to speak to this this group. It's got to have certain elements in it here. Well, yeah, like an Audi buyer is very different than a Honda buyer. Um, and let's say an Audi, an Audi uh, buyer from their product planning probably isn't uh, necessarily clipping coupons mm-hmm. and looking for the best deal. They're looking for something that makes them feel excited, where maybe the, a Honda buyer might be more inclined to make the, the quote-unquote logical choice, mm-hmm. right? So they, they're more of a kind that might, uh, you know, have the, the Groupon on their phone and make sure that it, they didn't spend too much. So it's a very, and, and that's not a, those are never, we never use terms like better or worse, or we just, uh, in, in the industry, we just use sensibilities. Different types of cars appeal to different types of people. So would you think it's so, fair to say that a Honda buyer, let, let me try this one, a Honda buyer is there looking for transportation, uh, an Audi driver is looking for a driving experience? Well, that's a great question, because if you, it depends on the era. If you think of Honda today, just since we just happened to say the word Honda, mm-hmm. could have been any company, but Honda of the 70s, you know, it's a, it's a motorcycle company that got into racing, right? So it's, yeah. it was a very energetic company. Honda... Today maybe is a different company than where it started. Where yeah. Honda will be in another 10, 15 years, maybe they get back to their roots. 
you never know, right? But yes, today Honda buyer is very different than an Audi buyer, for sure. The point of this is that that sensibility is intentional. And the designer is trying to appeal to that when they're drawing. And how do you do that? So that's how you get to when you put pen to paper. I'll give you a strange. And, I'll give you a strange example that pops in my head. Years ago, I did uh, um, when I did PR and marketing for a number of years. I worked for a couple of hot tub companies. I think we talked about this. I was, I was big in the hot tub industry for a while, and uh, and one of the things that we uh, most hot tubs people don't realize were sold in. Uh, county fairs and home shows and stuff, impulsive places. You get cotton candy, and, and you're supposed to sell them a $10,000 hot tub. It was crazy, but that's where they sold most of them. So we, just, I kept saying, well, we've got to come up with something cheap, light, portable that they could almost literally take home and plug in. And I was kind of yeah. a pioneer in that world. And so we came up with this thing, roto-molding. It was a big plastic dog dish, basically. It's the same way they make dog dishes. They just spin it, and, and out comes its shape. Nice. You stick a little motor in. It just plugs into the wall and doesn't have a lot of power, but, yeah. you know, makes bubbling hot water. And, That's oh, everybody nice. howled at this thing. It was ugly. It was horrible. Everybody said it looked like a dog dish. And so I yeah. said, that's the test. So when we to- yeah. trained the sales staff, we had the big fancy acrylic ones with fancy colors and shapes and forms and waterfalls and everything else. Then we had the dog dish. And we would say, somebody would walk up and they'd say, why is this one half, you know, a third of the price of that one? I'd say, well, we make it faster. We make it cheaper. We make it tougher. It's indestructible. Of course, it looks like a dog dish. And everybody's horrified. They say, you can't admit. Said, that's what they're all thinking. So if, and we saw that if they reacted and said, no, I think it's kind of cute, then we knew Hey, they were just looking for a box of bubbling water. They didn't care what it looks like. They wanted reliability, dependability, take it home, cheap price, all this stuff. But if they went, yeah, it looks like a dog dish, we immediately moved them over to the fancy stuff because that wasn't, no matter how reliable and cheap and affordable it was, it didn't appeal to the aesthetic. They wanted an aesthetic quality to it. So some- Absolutely, yeah, and that's a great, that's a great, that's a great discovery, and it's a great synopsis of how kind of design works because oftentimes people will say, "I like" or "I don't like," and you often know if they say "I don't like." That really just means that that product wasn't intended for them. Yeah. Right. So um, if you know if they say, if they might say you know, somebody might say like say you know something like polarizing. Oh, I don't know. Let's take like a Scion or a Honda Element or like a Nissan Cube. Yes, um, we've talked ugly. about those, right? Okay. Yeah, and so you, what you kind of learn is that 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 car wasn't like the that, funny way to answer is like, well, they wasn't designed for you, honey. So yeah, it's right. fine that you think it's ugly. So like there is a bit of that, and and um and, and you're trying to uh, sort of target a specific group. Some cars you have a broader range, like a Camry. Some cars are very specific, like a McLaren, you know, yeah, um, wow. you know, something like that. So, anyway, so the but the the pen to paper question that you asked me is that <clears throat> having that information, my job is to sort of combine the proportions and the engineering, and then that sensibility, and then you know you inject sort of your own um, flavor and things that you're inspired by, and uh, you create sketches that are really an exploration, and you're you're it's kind of a little journey. You, you just draw. There's no, um, I wouldn't say there's a cerebral answer to the question of design. It's just you're sketching something uh, while you explore, and you almost kind of go into a little trance. You're purposely thinking of those things. They're in the back of your mind, but you're also letting your mind kind of go soft, and you sketch. And then things start to appear, and I, I will say, you're, as a designer, you're always looking for something new. And so sometimes you'll draw something, and you won't particularly like it at first, but if you 
keep it up on the wall, you kind of start to grow on you, and you're like, oh, there's something new there. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what we're always looking for. If you that if you you're always trying to create something that is relevant, but that the world hasn't yet seen, and that gets people excited. And that's that'll be your mark on the world. That'll be your statement, your your contribution here that uh, nobody had ever seen before. But let me ask you a hard. Let me ask you two hard questions. I hope these don't offend you, but I uh, this is having worked with. To, uh, graphic designers a lot when I had a PR agency and other people designing ads, yeah. designing stuff, kind of the same thing. You try and give them a feeling, a flavor of uh, something you're trying to create, a piece. I want this piece, and I want look like this, and I want to have this kind of... I always found adjectives. I want it to be fun, friendly, fast, uh, forward, whatever, you know. And, or, yeah. yeah, and then they, I'd give them these yeah. flood of adjectives, and from that they'd come up, oh, then you want this or this. My objection sometimes was... Oh, you just you you just gave me the old uh, one off the shelf. Okay, give give them one, give them a, give them a number three over here, and they've got you know twelve designs in the back that they sort of pull out and use uh, over and over and over again. Um, is that just lazy design, or is that everybody's tendency? An actor that uh, can't uh, pulls does acts the same way every time, no matter what the part is. They always do the same gestures, the same looks, the same. You know, they they've got this sort of bag of tricks that they turn to all the time here. I think it sounds like you might have you might have needed to fire some of your graphic designers. I think I did. No, I th- honestly, because I I just no, felt I'm, like uh, the first blush was okay. I'm going to give you. I know a lawyer that does this. You know, he, he just pull, he gives you asks you all these questions. Right. He pulls out kind of a form and just fills it out. He's got handful yeah. of these proposals he's put together. And which one do you want here? And and yeah, I'm going to customize it just for you. Now give him a number three over here. And all joking aside, I think that um, it's everybody tendency to warm up with something they're familiar with um i certainly have my go-to's when i start to draw yeah uh things that i'm familiar drawing shapes i'm familiar drawing and usually those things are things i've drawn before but they're really um they're the they're the moment you're turning the pizza oven on right yeah you're you're not ready really to bake the pizza yet and then and that's why and sometimes you land on a eureka moment right away uh but usually for me i'm kind of just kind of warming up and like trying things out, and then all of a sudden, like boom, uh, you know, an errant line or a line yeah. I've never drawn before hits it, and I'm like, oh, oh, she's sexy. Yeah. Okay, come on, girl. Let me, let me <laughs> let's play with you. Kind of, that ponytail goes, and the next thing you know, that ponytail goes all the way to the ground, and you're like, this girl's got fly style, and then you run with it, and you've got something new, and that's and that and and that is what you're looking for. And a good designer, uh, sort of, a good designer either knows that. Or they are open to being pushed to do things that they haven't done before. Yeah, right. And that's why I made the joke about, you know, you maybe need some graphic designers, is that they, uh, a designer either intuitively pushes themselves or they respond to being pushed. And one of the things I have And one of the things I love about working for these super high-tech advanced companies, which are very different than the regular car companies, this is the first time usually they're doing it. And yeah. so they're looking for something totally new and they push me and they're usually are uh, what i love about it is a lot of the guys that i work with are often younger than me hmm. and they the way they see the world is so much different that i do that i find i'm often learning more from them and the way they describe things and and, and they push me to create things that I've just never drawn before. We had somebody in a show recently doing, and they called it reverse mentorship. The idea that you can learn from the people that you're mentoring. That uh, the, oh, the, yeah. the, you're, oh, you were brought in as the expert, you're the old 
uh, guard. You're the one who knows how to do this. And the younger people, rather than just sitting at your feet saying, yes, master, um, as yeah. they challenge and question and why and what about this, you start to learn from them as much as they learn from you. goes both well, I ways. Always, I always feel like they learn more when I teach than the other way around. I always feel like I leave teaching with like a new set of energy and ideas and you know hopefully it's a mutual because they, you know they're learning you know the the the, the, the hard you know the, the hard yeah. the, uh, the sort of skills you know this is the, the reality get out of to get out of the get out of the design studio you got to make some uh, hard choices i'm sure there are some compromises some things you have to do you say okay i gotta make i just gotta have four wheels and i i really don't like the way the wheels look but i've got to put wheels on this thing or whatever and well and you know and i, and I remember when I was a young designer, and there was, um, we've had Brenda Parkin, who was mm-hmm. in charge of color and material at Nissan. And one of the things she said to me is, she said, when I was young, she said, never let the people that have heard no, the word no, more than you, discourage you from trying something again for the first time. Wow. Yeah. And what she meant by that was, is that there is a tendency as a designer ages to be like, yeah, yeah. I tried that when I was young. It didn't work. (laughs) And her point was, yeah, but you weren't, you're not him. You're not her. You, you may not have the same take on it. And to let your, and so when you hear that, yeah, yeah, I've tried that before. So just keep exploring because you will always have something new to offer. Or maybe the time has changed. It's time for big glass now. Yeah. We tried that 20 years ago and I got shot down at AMC. I'm never going to do that again. If the pacer had come out 10, 10 years later, it probably would have been a massive success. But yeah. you know, also what the pacer probably what the pacer doesn't get credit for, right? Is it was the it was the pioneer, so it sort of set the stage where people may have laughed at it, but there was enough uh, uh, you know cultural context to the car where people were like, hey, the ones who drove it were like, oh, this is a really neat neat space to be in. I I want that, and then yeah. that starts to breed into the culture. So. Um, anyway, I just always love that. And as I remember designer, sitting in a pacer once. It looked better looking out than it did looking in, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like uh, it was like uh, you know sitting in a fishbowl. Yeah. Said. Right. Uh, and, and, and but um, funny as it looked on the outside, it was. You thought, well, I can see a lot. There's no blind spots. I can see everything here. This is pretty cool. There's lots of glass and it's bubbly and yeah. All right. So we're yeah. we're we're we're, we're st- you come up now. You walk back and at some point they start to hone in. And you give them some reaction, you get some reactions, you go back, and then inspiration strikes. The ponytails appear, the odd things, the muses speak to you here. Uh, God whispers in your ear, and little things happen. And uh, all of a sudden, this thing comes out, and you go, ooh, this is starting to be kind of cool, and this is different, this is unique. Mm-hmm. And they write, and they buy off in it. Now, why do they have to make a model of it? Why don't they just go cut one and and yeah. be done with Great it? Question. What's that question. What's that word cut mean, right? Yeah, yeah. so... Um, so they, t- typically, what you'll do is you're also not the only one sketching, right? Now, so if I were in a studio, I'd be competing with my colleagues, but mm, on my okay. own, I'm usually hired to do the design, right? Or I'll be brought into a team that's already that's got a series of designers, and then I'm leading that team, and that's a very different thing. There's a very big difference between designing a car and leading a team, right? Because right. when I'm just, when I'm leading a team, I'm not um, I'm not trying to design anything. I'm trying to pull the best out of people and new ideas out of people and celebrate their yeah, their talent. you're the orchestra leader instead of the first violinist. You're not trying to my, yeah right yeah yeah, and the time to celebrate them and 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 hopefully push some push and pull something new out of the designers and 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 my job would be to see that thing that may for them be the water they swim in, but for me it's like whoa, that is turbulent and cool, and I love the waves, 
and let's grab it. Or to push so, them to go uh, further. And don't give me that stuff you had on the shelf. No, I want something more. Or, or, or no, I do what you have on the shelf. I, that's getting too crazy. I want a little more stability yeah, in this. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, you know, um, narrow down to a few designs. It depends on the budget. It can be anything from like six to two, and um, and then we make digital models, which is a computer aided design model in the computer. And that's the first time that you see what you've drawn in a theoretical dimensional world laid over top of all of those proportions. And what you're saying is in today's world, it's not just a, a physical 3D representation on a flat piece of paper. It comes to life in a uh, virtual studio. You put the goggles on and you feel like you can touch it and walk around it and stuff, right? Oh my gosh, virtual reality has changed my career. It's made um, so much, it's just made so many things possible. It's actually, um, oddly, with the sort of pandemic we've been going through i i had to or my client was nice enough to buy me a virtual reality system because i couldn't fly up there and i'll tell you what like i'll never go back i i love my virtual reality system <laughs> because i can see the car yeah but i but i but it's fascinating because until this project uh, i didn't have virtual reality i had a i was used to building these models these digital models in the computer and you look at it on a screen not in goggles, right? So you look at a flat screen with a right. with a with a. It's like looking through the window at something. You're not. You're, it's you can see it, and they can turn it around in space, but it's still not touchable. You you don't move around and go stick your head under the hood and everything. But the epiphany, which was cool, then is happening this week because it's now is a new system. Is that typically when you're working on a digital model, eventually you're going to come. You bring the model out of the computer into the real world and we we do that in a process call with modeling clay and you make a clay model uh that's the dimensional the physical dimensional representation of the model and that you're always surprised when it comes out of the computer because things look very different Hmm. in the computer than they do in the real world so like designing a house and then but but see obviously you don't clay model your house first you design it, and then you come out and you go, oh, that doesn't look the way I thought it was. I didn't realize I can't see out this window past that tree there or something. Yeah, there's always a surprise. This, this shape looks different. And what I what I really enjoyed about the virtual digital modeling world is that I can have a real, uh, almost real experience of the car. However, today is uh, a very special day that we did start the clay model of the vehicle and this is the first time i've seen the car in clay Mm. after having spent a month with it in virtual and there are still surprises i am so delighted to be back in clay um and like i love i have like the best digital modeler his name is nick barkley he and i've been working together again for like 20 years on everything from airstream to uh different startups and to Zooks, the one that just got bought by Amazon, mm-hmm. amazing digital modeler. But and and he and what I what I the process I sort of had to invent today because it's my first time going through the VR system and then bringing the clay model is that I bring him and the clay modeler together and that I have the, those two talk with my guidance because he is very the digital modeler is very familiar with all the requirements. You know, you need the taillight to be this size, you need the cabin to be this size. Right. Uh, he's built a beautifully surfaced carpet. He himself has never seen it in the real world. So when it comes out in the real world, you find little, little idiosyncrasies. Like, uh, I'll give you an example that people can relate to, because okay. I don't want to get too nerdy where it's like, you know, fenders and highlights and, you know, all these technical terms. Right. When I looked at the mouth of the car, meaning the grill, where the air goes into the cool, the electric uh, motors, mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and do they still need a grill for electric cars? I was, I, I've never asked you uh, that. Or is that no, just it, an aesthetic know, that we're used to here? We're used to seeing a grill. Well, it, you know, air intake. Okay. I just use the word grill. Yeah, but not grill like in the sense of a, a grill. I, I, the answer I, to your question is yes, that no car needs a grill anymore, They, but it does need air intake. And I, so, okay. um, typically, I, did, I didn't uh, know that for a, like, for an electric vehicle, if it still needed air intake to be cooled or anything here. Well, if you look at like a, like one of the things that's been innovative with Tesla is they've managed to create a luxury car without a grill, right? right? So, like, um, in, in the past, you know, it would be ta- it will take a little sidetrack here. In the past, it would have been um, standard practice that a luxury car always has to have a grill, and the example used uh, to show to prove that is the Infiniti Q forty five came out in 89 that was the first luxury car with no grill and within two years they slapped a grill on the front of that thing to try to get it to sell right um and the grill is the the bling right Right. and you know we've moved on 20 years and tesla being a a luxury premium car with a new kind of powertrain has managed to propose a car that that does not have a grill however it still has to take in air to cool something. Whether you're cooling an internal combustion engine or you're cooling, cooling a, a motor or a computer or something, just like your you know laptop needs a vent somewhere, right. you got to put air into the car. Okay. So anyway, back from the sidetrack, the air intake on the car, uh, I, I loved it. In virtual reality, I loved it in my sketches. I get it, and, it looked, and I was like, oh, girl, we got Lisa Renna in the studio. She's got some. She's got way too much collagen in the lips right now. So, like some, some don't look right. Like we can do this, but it's like it's going to be full on plastic surgery face. So, like I don't think that's what I was looking for for this. No, no shade against Lisa. I love her lips, but not on the front of this car. I mean, those are iconic lips. You, you keep know, describing cars like they're humans. Well, they are. You it's know, a, the, it's the a toaster. It's a it's a blender. It's a it's a box that moves around. Well, you know that's a great that's a great challenge. You know the, the the one of the when I very first started in car design, I went to see um, director of design at Fiat, a guy named Peter Davis, and he told me before you go to school to get accepted into car design school, don't draw cars. He said they're going to teach you that. He said draw people, draw mm-hmm. naked people. Yeah, you've said that before. Yeah, are, are assembled and made of the same shapes and proportions and forms that people are. You, you know, you got muscular shoulders, you've got uh, wheels, which are lay, like legs, you've got headlights, which are like eyes, but really the shapes in a car are like the human uh, muscular system. And what's the thing that Da Vinci supposedly came up with, the, the perfect proportions to a face, or is there some name to it? I've... Vitruvius, the Vitruvius man. Yeah, and so like a car with really, and people, people respond to proportion, uh, whether or not they realize it. Uh, case in point if we're still talking about the pacer the pacer still has odd proportions right it, mm-hmm. it, it the pacer doesn't really sit well on its wheels it's got a, it's got wheels that are way far inboard and its top is so big mm-hmm. that i mean you know we're we're, we're talking like helen hunt forehead on this <laughs> car, right? it's major helen you can direct all of your mail to uh oc talk radio <laughs> we'll give you equal time here i think she would probably <laughs> I can dig it. I'm sure you know she's doing just fine in her career. <laughs> she don't care what I think. But she's a beautiful woman, but she got a big old forehead, right? So, like, um, you know, proportions are uh, really something that people are sensitive to. So, anyway, when we got into the clay today, we're starting to see uh, the surprises and the shapes and the forms, and it's really about. And so, the job that we have when we do the clay model is to 
um, recreate those shapes by hand with the human touch. And, and there are different schools of thought in automotive design, and I've had some wonderful mentors, but I would say probably the one that I relate to or emulate the most would be Tom Matano, who would be very much an advocate for the clay model, Tom Matano. He wanted to touch right? everything. Yeah. When he was on your show, you had to touch it. It had to reach out and or it had to call you. It had to beckon you to look back at it one more time. It had to have that kind of that hands. It couldn't just be cut by a lathe or a computer. Yeah. And so think about cars he did. Mazda Miata, RX-7, you know, these very voluptuous, uh, beautifully surfaced cars that they the um, really couldn't have really need a human touch and i can and i can still i can attest that you still need that human touch even in 2020 uh, i i've watched in 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 two days of modeling with with charlie i've watched this car start to come alive to and come it's alive, not yeah. huge changes it's um it's not huge changes it's three millimeters more crown in the surface that gives mm. it its tension it's um it's a slight <laughs> touch. It's a slight yeah. touch that it's it's the touch of Giuseppe's hand on Pinocchio's the piece of wood that makes it come alive here, huh? Yeah, and it's and and, and so literally Charlie and I will be looking at something and he's like, you know, the if you're looking at the wheel arch and you think of it as a clock, and the the, the shape around the wheel arch has more energy at two thirty, uh, that starts to make the wheel feel like it's being pulled forward. Yeah, and what I want is the car to feel like it's being pushed because I want that energy to push the car forward. So we need to move that energy by changing the shape to about 9.30 at the clock. Wow. Uh, if you imagine the wheel as a I'm clock. I'm going to have to think about and this. So I'm going to go home and think about it. Let's see. 2.30, uh, one energy, 9.30, I feel a different energy here. That's yeah, hard That's hard to picture. Pushing. Well, imagine the clock and imagine when the hands are at 2.30. So let's yeah. just say 3 o'clock. Okay. That would be right off of the center line, pulling the car directly flat. 2.30 is kind of pulling it up, right? So 2 o'clock, let's make it easy. And 9 o'clock would be the energy is behind the wheel, and it's pushing the wheel forward. And in this particular car, it needs a little energy. It needs a little kick in the pant because it's got a little droopy little butt right now. And so how do I get that energy is I, I push the energy to 9, nine o'clock around the wheel arch, and then it starts to push at it. And so... You know, the, the the hardest thing about Amazing. having a car design show that's not visual is to, to try to describe these things. Right. Really. Yeah, right. But, uh, at some point when we get a big budget, we can do a... We'll we go along the line with that thing. Well, we're going to have yeah. to leave it here. I just wanted to get some sense. One, you're excited. Two, you've moved into phase two of this little bot project. And three, a little bot can be as much fun as a big uh, Titan truck here. I hope so. I mean, I, you know, it depends on what you call fun. I, I'm the kind of nerdy designer that loves to work on those things. Some designers, you know, would say, I want to work on sports cars, but I, I like these little, I like these little, you know, utilitarian things and making them look fun and cool. Yeah. Well, and that's going to be the challenge if we're going to accept these things, because if they don't, we're either going to dismiss them and we just want the cheapest one. It's a toaster. And I'm saying that derogatorily. I'm sure the toaster manufacturers try very hard to make them sound appealing and make them look visually exciting to s- stick in our house. Well, yeah, actually, as we close, it's a great place to close. So take, use the toaster and think of Michael Graves. Michael Graves made an, icon, uh, made an icon out of a toaster and a tea kettle. You know, he's the father of postmodern design, right? And, okay. you know, you'd look at a tea kettle and you'd say, oh, yeah, that's the cheapest thing in the world. But he created that tea kettle with a rooster 
And that gave the tea kettle a personality that became an icon. And so you can do a tea kettle or a toaster that's just cold and boring, or you give it a bit of life. And now people pay what, you know, hundreds, thousands of dollars for a Michael Gray's tea kettle. And look at how different, like, my wife will always put the toaster away. I don't know why. Toaster to her is an ugly appliance. But a tea kettle, always on the stove. Yeah, and that's interesting. And that's like, oh, I'd love to have a whole conversation about why. She yeah, that I never thought about it to this moment. But a tea kettle, maybe because she the tea is sort of inviting, you're ready for some yeah. tea. You're ready for a little Irish, a little, little tea, would you like here? And, uh, you know, yeah. but their toast, psh, that's, that's, the minute she does it, she has to put the toaster away. The toaster is, bothers her. I want the design challenge of designing her a toaster that she feels she gets to sit by the would, Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I've always just like thought, I always just left them out, and I thought, okay, the appliances, I'm just thinking utilitarian. <laughs> I want some toast, so I don't want to go dig for the toaster here. But no, the toaster is ugly, but the tea kettle says something. That's got to be out. Well, with that, we're going to say... I want to see the tea kettle. It's yeah, I, and I don't know, to me, they both just look the same, but there's something about our tea kettle that <laughs> she's got to have out. All right, well, I'm going to leave it at there. I'm glad we got you um, in the moment. When you're excited, when you've just seen it, um, I'd love to have your uh, Clay Modler come on uh, a, a future show here and continue this conversation. Talk about how he or she takes their takes what you show them and what do they add to it? How do they bring it to life? <laughs> yeah. What's the- I will say this in closing, uh, and we're, I, I hope we do get to get Charlie on. Uh, a designer is only as good as his best modeler. That's <laughs> absolutely certain. And he'll, he'll agree. <laughs> there you go. He'll agree. He'll agree. All right. Cool stuff. Well, all right. Thanks us for walking us through this. And I look to have some more conversations as you walk through this process of creating this new generation of vehicle, all sorts of conversations that opens up. But the purpose of the show is to get you to tell us what it's like to, dr- to be driven by design. And I think you did a good job of that today here. Thanks, Paul. Always a blast. All right. Talk to you. Well, there you have it. Another example of why you should tune each and every week to Driven by Design, the only show that takes you behind the scenes into the world of creating new vehicles. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station.